with The Breeze, this is Jake Conley. Today, I sat down with Breeze opinion editor Jacob Carter to talk about an article by a columnist for The Breeze, Mia Hazelden Ross, looking at the practice of gerrymandering and the process of redistricting currently happening in Virginia, and what the implications of redistricting and gerrymandering are and can be. It's Thursday, October 14th, and this is The Morning Breeze. Hey, Jacob. What's up? How's it going? Not too bad. Awesome. So, on the cover of The Breeze this week is an article from one of your writers, Mia Hazelden Ross, a columnist with The Breeze, talking about the practice of gerrymandering, redistricting, and the flaws she sees with that system. So, just to start, for people who may not be super up to date with everything, what is redistricting? So, redistricting is... um, So, for, for every U.S. state... Every 10 years, they redraw their district lines. Each legislative district kind of composes the, the voter population in each state. So they're very um, influential in how elections play out. So every 10 years, uh, it's sort of a, a marker in how the population has shifted and how you know different groups of people have moved around. And you see district lines change a lot. For Virginia, um, how it used to be... Um, sort of facilitated every 10 years was that a bill was proposed to the state legislature. But at this point, um, I guess they decided that it wasn't effective enough. Um, so in the, in the last year, um, a new commission has been drawn from the state legislatures, the Senate and the delegates of Virginia to sort of form a uh, quote unquote neutral commission to sort of streamline the process of redistricting. Right. And these are the districts that you vote in, like your voting district, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Great. And so if this process was neutral and went freely, in theory, it would be an accurate representation of the population and its kind of voter makeup for each state, right? Right. From here, we get what Mia wrote about with gerrymandering. So talk to me about what gerrymandering is. So gerrymandering, very fun word. What that is, is uh, when time comes around to, to draw new district lines, gerrymandering is when the party in power sort of abuses that right to, to redraw the lines to gain ground in elections, essentially. Um, this can affect people of color disproportionately. And um, honestly, in the last 10 years, uh, Republicans have been behind a majority of gerrymandering cases. But in 2019, the U.S. Supreme Court refused to rule gerrymandering unconstitutional. So sort of an ongoing issue. Right. And so correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding is when the party in power goes to draw lines, if they are going into gerrymandering territory, what they're doing is drawing the lines in a way that more votes for their party will count and will have more voting parity, for for lack of a better term, and more power in the election. Mm -hmm. Therefore, kind of swinging an election. Yeah, and like maybe prolonging you know, their stay in power and yeah, swinging elections, which is a huge, huge deal. Right. And one of the biggest critiques of this is that this could mess with the integrity of the American electoral process. Right. Because it it can sort of um, misrepresent what the voters want. Right. Exactly. Jacob, gerrymandering, that's quite a word. Even in politics, I know until recently, I had no idea where it came from. So walk me through where the word gerrymandering does actually come from. So um, gerrymandering gets its name from a U.S. politician um, back in the 1800s named Elbridge Gerry. He was sort of notorious for an instance where 
he was in charge of um, redistricting, and one of his districts was in the shape of a salamander. And he had done this um, by, you know, stretching the lines, dragging them to only represent voters that would guarantee that he stays in his seat. Um, so it has uh, a, a very distant link, but obviously it's still very relevant today. So correct me if I'm wrong, Elbridge Jerry, salamander, gerrymandering. Yeah, I guess that's what they came up with. Perfect. So Mia's article talks about the work and the honestly failures thereof of the Virginia Redistricting Commission, mm-hmm. that group you talked about that was set up mm-hmm. last year to hopefully bring neutrality to this issue. Mm-hmm. So tell me what the commission is, why it was started, and what its purpose is. So um, again, the purpose is to sort of you know make the process more efficient. Um, but as we've seen, it hasn't really ended up that way. So it's made up of, again, 16 members, eight Democrats and eight Republicans, and half of each of those are from the Senate and the House of Delegates of the state. And how their system sort of works is they have a, a set of deadlines that they have to meet to vote and agree on new district maps. Obviously, you have, you know, the, the commission is made up of partisan roles. You have uh, representation from both sides, but equal representation. So ideally, um, it is it, there's no uh, you know power plays. There's no trying to to like overthrow the other side's opinion. But as we've seen, um, it has not played out that way. They there was a deadline on October second um, that they missed for a map. So now we have um, a couple a couple more meetings afterwards that have continued to play out and are are yet to play out that have sort of devolved into this gridlock, essentially. Right. So there's been a lot in the news about these meetings. There was a pretty big one on October 8th with a lot of kind of crazy headlines around it. I believe the word that the Virginia Mercury used was imploded. Tell me what happened in this meeting and why people would be using headlines with words such as imploded to describe a meeting of the redistricting commission. Right. So, um, so yeah, so they had a meeting on the 8th. This is, again, after the deadline on the 2nd. So they're already running past schedule. Um, and essentially what happened is the Democrats that made up the commission um, gave a proposal for a map, and the Republican side uh, rejected it and essentially refused to compromise. This sort of set off the Democrats, and I think, uh, yeah, three Democrats up and walked out. I would definitely say implosion is a good word to use. Yeah, you don't often hear of senators, delegates, just straight walking out of writing. So kind of right. crazy. Where does that leave the commission? Where does where, What happens with the maps? Where does this go next? Right. Uh, I think it, it leaves it right where it's what it sounds like is uh, gridlock. It's it kind of just locked up between um, two sides that refuse to compromise, um, which I think reflects the state of um, the federal government at, at the moment. Uh, you see Congress, you know, struggling to fund the country because they can't reach agreements. And, um, you know, theoretically, the states are there to help out. And here it is happening on the state level as well. Um, so it's kind of uh, a matter of A, either reach a compromise and, you know, make progress or B, go to the state Supreme Court and try to, you know, force a resolution there. Right. And put it in the hands of the court system. Right. So my understanding, what Mia mentions in her article, is that there is a new deadline that's been set for the commission, which is October 25th, which is only seven days before the upcoming Virginia 21-22 gubernatorial election, Mm -hmm. which is looking to be a very big and very impactful election. 
There's been a lot of media coverage around it, mm-hmm. even at the national level. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about this election and kind of what's at play here. So um, you have Terry McAuliffe, a sort of establishment Democrat. Um, he's a very well-known name. Um, he was actually gover- governor of Virginia before. There is a technicality that uh, um, it doesn't allow a governor to run uh, in consecutive terms, but doesn't prevent them from running in terms that are kind of spaced out from one another. So um, as Ralph Northam is the governor Currently, uh, Terry McAuliffe was the governor before him. So now he's back. He's running again. Um, he's a very familiar name. And generally speaking, uh, people approved of his job as governor. So he's got you know some points going for him coming into the election. On the other side, you have uh, Glenn Youngkin. Um, he's a staunch conservative who, you know, he touts his, uh, you know, his agenda, like big business, uh, very in touch with rural voters, Honestly, it sort of reflects the 2016 national election a lot. Uh, you have Trump versus Clinton. Trump is a new guy in the block. He, you know, is is garnering all this support despite the fact that he's never even, you know, worked in politics before against Hillary Clinton. You know, a very long known name in politics, a very, um, you know, establishment politician. I think it reflects the 2016 election a lot and sort of the demographics at play. And at the same time, looking back at the state election, it's going to be incredibly impactful, the results of this election on uh, the future of the state, you know, looking at the next two, four years, but even beyond that. Right. Yeah. And we see a lot of the social issues coming up that have been in huge headlines recently, all the debate over schools and curriculum, critical race theory, mm-hmm. all of that's kind of at play here. Mm-hmm. Um, Glenn Youngkin actually got a endorsement from Donald Trump himself. Right. So I think you're right in saying this really is the establishment versus the outside business. This mm-hmm. is 2016 again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Just kind of reflected on a state level. Yeah, for sure. So this brings us to kind of the crux of this whole thing. Why should JMU students care what happens with a commission dealing with drawing maps and district lines and things that are pretty obscure, kind of hard to understand political entities? Right. Well, um, while it may sound like, you know, legislative districts and, you know, um, redistricting maps that may not sound very impactful, um, it's actually the exact opposite. Um, This affects everyone, no matter where you live, as long as you're a U.S. citizen, because every state has districts. Every district will change eventually. And how district lines are drawn affect our future and affect um, every election. Every single time that a district is redrawn, um, I think that's something that needs to be heavily scrutinized and heavily um, you know, monitored because of the fact that it can have long-term effects on the population. And so it sounds like this really does kind of affect the power that our fellow students' votes, our votes, can have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think it's really important to keep in mind that you know, no matter where you reside in the United States, uh, your votes matter. On every level, um, you know, you hear every presidential election, but quite honestly, state governments can have a profound effect on the life that you live and, you know, the laws that dictate your life. So to kind of wrap this up, what is the crux of Mia's argument here? Um, I think what Mia was highlighting is the fact that if the state legislature isn't going to do anything, somebody has to. The state Supreme Court or the federal Supreme Court, you know, whoever progress comes from, um, it needs to happen because uh, I think we're in, in a state of gridlock on multiple levels right now and no progress is getting made. Thanks, Jacob. No problem. I'm Jake Connolly. 
and this has been The Morning Breeze.